In this series, we've been looking at this prayer in Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5. And this is kind of, if you were a, if you were a Jewish person, if you were a young person, you would have known the Shema like we know the Pledge of Allegiance. Uh, we stand up in class and we said the Pledge of Allegiance every morning. This is kind of what uh, the Jewish people did. And this is found in, again, Deuteronomy 6. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be here and we're going to jump around a little bit this morning. But I just want to read this before we begin. Deuteronomy 6, 4 and 5, Moses says, Listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone, and you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all of your strength. And so these words highlighted in blue are the words we've been looking at. So listen is actually Shema. That's, it's listen. And what are we listening to? Well, we're listening to the Lord. Yahweh is our God, the Lord alone. And you must love, this is the most fun one, I think, Ahava, that's love, the Lord your God with all your heart, which is lev, all your soul, which is nefesh, and all your strength, which is meod. Meod is strength. And this is, again, this is written in Hebrew and translated into English. And if you've been with us the past few weeks, you've noticed that sometimes words that we see in English... uh, translated from Hebrew, they don't mean what we think they mean, and this is especially true of today, of meod, strength. Um, and this, this is, you know, when we think of strength, we think of like feats of strength, and I've, I've always been obsessed with like strong people or strong things in this world. I don't know about you or if I'm weird, uh, but I think strength is just a really cool thing. So I looked up some uh, feats of strength. In September 2009, Kevin Fast, he pulled an airplane that weighed 420,000 pounds from a standstill. 420,000 pounds, okay? In 2016, Eva Clark did 3,737 pull-ups in 24 hours, If you know what a pull-up is, you hang, and then you bring your chin up, and you come down. Uh, Most people can't even do one. She did 3,737. In March of this year, Hathor Bjornsson, he deadlifted, which means you pick up the weight off the ground. He deadlifted 1,100 pounds. Like, that's like a car. Like, how can someone lift that? How can your back and your mother? I mean, the human body is insane. But this is in in my Google search for feats of strength, this is what I learned is that I just really pray Planet of the Apes never happens, okay? Because if you think those are impressive, a gorilla, a gorilla, okay, which is a mammal just like we are, the, the human world record for a bench press is, is 900 pounds. I mean, which is just, that's insane. A gorilla can bench press 4,500 pounds, that's what I said, too. I was like, no way. And you see, I, we were, this is a side story, but we were at the zoo one time, and I remember this gorilla, you know, they're behind the glass there, and it charged my brother and just pounded the glass, and it shook the whole place. I was like, nope, not messing with gorillas. Not messing with gorillas. This is what we think of when we think of strength. We, we think of these types of things, but, but the Hebrew word for strength actually doesn't refer to muscle power. Just like the soul didn't refer to like this spiritual being, meod refers to something more like muchness. Muchness. Now you're probably like, well, what what does muchness mean? Muchness is doing something with your full extent or ability. 
Doing something with your full extent or ability. So, so getting to the meaning of this word, we need to go to other places in Scripture because love the Lord God with all your heart, your soul, and your muchness. Well, let's look at some other places in Scripture where maod is used. The first place it's used is Genesis 1, 31. It says, Then God looked over all he had made, and he saw that it was very good. This word very is maod. It was maod good. Genesis 4, verse 5, God, but he didn't accept Cain and his gift, he, the, uh, Cain and his gift. This made, that's a typo, sorry, this made Cain very angry and he looked dejected. That word, Cain, very angry, is maod, angry. Last one, Genesis 30, 43, as a result, Jacob became very wealthy with large flocks of sheep and goats female and male servants, and many camels and donkeys. He wasn't just wealthy, he was maod wealthy. And so this is kind of, this word is an intensifier of the words around it. This is how it's used in scripture. And for, for some reason, it was translated as strength in uh, the Shema. But what is this intensifying? What, what words is this intensifying around it? Well, this is what it is. Maod signifies the amount of effort we should give in loving God with our heart and soul. This, these are the things that we talked about the past couple weeks. Heart being your inner person, your thoughts, your emotions, all the things about you. And, and your soul being your entire being, your physical being. We're all physical beings. And so we're supposed to not just love God with our heart and soul. We're supposed to love God with all of our effort in our heart and our soul. It's an intensifier. You know, I, I want you to take a minute to think about what's something in your life that you've just worked really hard to accomplish? What's something in your life that you worked really hard to accomplish? You, you were driven, you were focused, you sacrificed, uh, you gave up things that, that were easy for things that you really wanted to do. You worked very hard at this. You know, I, I don't know if you've seen uh, this documentary, but it's called The Last Dance. It's about the, the uh, 1990s Bulls, Chicago Bulls team. And specifically, it's about Michael Jordan. And Michael Jordan is just about the most interesting person you have ever seen in the world. He, he made enemies left and right. He, he was rude. He was, he was ruthless. But that's because he was driven for a specific purpose. He wanted to be the best basketball player ever. And I'm sure if you were to ask anyone who's the best basketball player ever, they would say, the Magic Johnson, he's not even, did someone say Magic Johnson? Sorry, I thought I heard that. Um, I'm, sure, I'm sure you would say Michael Jordan, maybe LeBron, maybe LeBron, but he, ha he doesn't have the championships. But Michael Jordan is widely considered to be the best ever. And that's not just a, a, a happenstance. That's not just by accident. If you see this documentary, it's 10 hours long. You can see the amount of work and effort from the youngest age Michael Jordan put into being great at basketball. When his, when his teammates were all partying and, and getting in trouble, when he was a rookie, he was in his hotel room playing cards and studying film. He was so hyper-focused on being the best basketball player ever. And for a lot of people, he's considered that. And so again, back to you, what in your life have you accomplished that you have had that Michael Jordan mentality that you've worked hard to do? You know, job, 
that for a lot of us, maybe it's your job, maybe it's your career path, maybe it's for young people, maybe it's your schooling, your academics, that type of thing. Maybe it was a sport. I think you maybe see where I'm going with this because we're not talking about those things. We're talking about our relationship with God. And so how much do we strive to love God with our heart and with our soul? And this is really the, the, one of the main points that I wanted to drive home last week, which was God desires our full effort. He desires all of us. He, he, he desires our nefesh. He desires our lev. And we should do that with the maximum amount of effort that we can give. Romans 12.1, Paul says this, And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. You know what Paul is saying here is he's saying that God doesn't just want a part of you. He doesn't just want an hour of your time on Sunday morning. He wants all of you to give your bodies, to give your nefesh to God because of all he has done for you. And why does Paul use this language? Why would he, why would he use this language? Well, because you're either in or you're out. This is how Jesus communicated it. You give up your life to save it. If you keep your life, you'll lose it. That's what Jesus said. And, and God gave this message to the people of Laodicea. We looked at this a few weeks ago in our Revelation series, but I want to bring it up again. There, Jesus, God is speaking to this church and he says, I know all the things that you do, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were one or the other. But since you are like lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth very strong imagery here. And what, you, what, what God isn't saying here is you should either be hot, you should either be all in, or you should be all out, signifying cold. Because to understand the context of this, the, the city of Laodicea, they had a stream flowing into it of lukewarm water, which was basically useless. But on both sides of them, they had cities that one had cold water running into it, one had hot water running into it from the hot streams. And what, Paul, what Jesus is saying here is that you should be one or the other. They're both useful, but lukewarm water, in and out, not being fully all in is not useful. You're going to spit it out. Take a sip of like lukewarm soda or, or something. I mean, you want to spit it out? It's disgusting. Hot is too, but... But we're not going to bathe in, in cold water, right? We're gonna, we, we like hot water. It's comfortable. It's useful. And so what Jesus is saying here is that you can't be over here and be over here. You have to be all in. That's what God desires of us. And that's kind of, that's a bummer for some of us to hear. It's like, oh, that's going to mess up my plans. That's going to mess up my life. That's going to mess up my priorities, of course it is, because that's what we do with things that we care about. We allow them to change our lives. We allow them to interrupt our comforts. That's what God's saying here. That's what, that's what he's, he's saying to this church. Don't be one or the other. Give God your full being. This is a quote I saw this week that I thought was, was pretty, um, pretty convicting, if you were arrested for being a Christian, 
would there be enough evidence to convict you? Think about that. You know, you get arrested for for robbery, and the court tries you for if you did it or not. And all of these things, all this evidence is going to add up to either say you did it or you did not do it. If you were arrested for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Through the way that you live, through your actions, through what other people say about you. Would there be enough evidence to convict you? And I would say this, you know, and I've been here too. This is challenging for me. But I think, I think sometimes we just treat our relationship with God as just one of those other things in our lives. One of those other things that we do. You know, we do this Sunday. We worship Sunday. Maybe we even go to a small group. Maybe we even, maybe we even pray sometimes and read the Bible But what God is saying is is that that's not enough. That's not enough. And and I do want to say this again. This isn't about pulling up your bootstraps and doing it by your own effort. That's not what I'm saying here. Because once you trust in Jesus, as we talked about last week, you have the Holy Spirit at work in your life. And that doesn't mean that you're going to be perfect. But it does mean that your priorities will change. And there's a process in theology called sanctification. Sanctification means becoming more and more holy as you go along in life. So so your trajectory with your relationship with God should be going this way, not this way. Or even this way. Because if it's going on the same plane, you're actually going down. You don't realize that, but you can't really coast. So think about this this week. Talk, talk about this with your family. If you're a believer of Jesus, is there enough evidence to convict you? And then this is the last thing. Loving God with all of our mayod will give us strength in every situation. I love this. You know, as we close out this series, I think it's important to remember something. That God is our ultimate source. God is our ultimate source. He, he, he is the only one worth giving our entire lives, our full effort to, because He's the only one who can give us the strength to handle these difficult situations that we go through in our lives. I'm reading a, a book on Ernie Johnson Jr., who, who's a sportscaster for TNT, and he, he's, a, he's a solid Christian. And he went through cancer, and he talks about this idea of strength, of of God giving you strength, of trusting in God, period. That's his thing, trusting God, period. Not question mark, but trusting God in every situation. Because those who have gone through intense, extreme trials know that God really is the only one who can give you the strength to make it through. And this is really what the whole Bible is about. This is what the whole Bible is about. Is about trusting in God, not trusting in ourselves, not trusting in something else. This is what the Israelite people kept doing over and over again is trusting in other things. And so Moses says this again. This verse you've seen a billion times in this series, the Shema. He says, listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone, the Lord alone. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. You see the backdrop of him going into this message to the Israelites is they're about to go into the promised land. 
If you, if you start in Deuteronomy 1, you can see that they, they had just left Egypt, and they're about to go into the promised land. And you know how long it was supposed to take them to get from slavery and bondage to the land God had prepared for them? It was supposed to take them 11 days, okay? How long did it take them? 40 years! It took them 40 years to get what should have taken 11 days. And why? Why? Why did it take that long? Well, because they kept forgetting this verse. They kept ignoring God. They kept putting idols first. They kept, they kept elevating their own comfort, their own way above God's way. And there's consequences for that. One of them being what should have taken 11 days took 40 years. And so Moses, again, he, he is, he's warning them. He's pleading with them. Listen to this. You know, we looked at a verse last week that we should write these things on, on our walls. We should repeat them over and over again because even us, we look at the Israelites and we get so frustrated and you're like, God, you guys are so dumb. Just listen to God. But then what do we do? We do the same thing. We don't listen to God. We go our own way. And so we need this just as much as the Israelites did thousands of years ago. And I want to say this, putting, putting your full effort in God, your full mayod in God, in your heart, in your soul, it doesn't mean things are just going to perfectly line up the way that you want them to. Because you're going to go through hard times. You're going to go through trials. You're going to have difficult circumstances come up in your life. This is what Peter said. He said, dear friends, Christians, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you're going to go through. As if something strange were happening to you. I love, I love what he says. As if something strange was happening. In other words, this is normal. For the Christian, trials are normal. Difficult situations are normal. I talked about last week having a verse on your wall. This probably isn't the verse that's going to be on your wall, right? This, this kind of makes us uncomfortable. Because we do go through fiery trials. And it's not strange, it's normal what's happening to us. It's, it's to be expected. But this is what James says, I love this. Because we can view these trials in, in one of two ways. Is we're defeated, that's it. Or, or the way that James says it. Dear brothers and sisters, when trouble of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. I've, I'm a runner. I've been a runner for a long time, since high school, and, and I love this idea of endurance, and that's really what James is talking about here, because running, if you've ever ran, you don't just go out and run a marathon. You're just sitting on your couch, ah, you know what, I want to go run a marathon today. That's not how it works. Um, you have to build your endurance. You have to get out and run and it hurts, and it's hard, but then it's going to make you better for the next run, and then the next run, and then the next run. And, and when you couldn't even walk barely a mile, now you can run 26. Your endurance has to grow, and this is how James is telling us to look at these trials. Look at it as an opportunity for your faith to grow to trust more fully in God. It's going, to be, it's going to be hard. What James doesn't say here is that, you know what, it's going to be easy. 
James doesn't say that. He doesn't say that our trials are going to be easy. And James also doesn't say that, that, you know, through your own effort, through your own volition, you're going to get through it. He doesn't say that. He says, your faith is tested and has an opportunity to grow. Your faith in what? Your faith in God. Not your faith in yourself. You know, have you ever heard the phrase, God, you know, God will never give you more than you can handle. That's not true. Biblically, that's not true. Maybe it is for that person telling you that. But, that, but that's not biblical. Because God will absolutely give you more than you can handle. He'll, he'll absolutely give you more than you have the capacity to deal with. Because, you know why? Because he wants you to trust not in yourself, but he wants you to trust in him. God will give sufficient grace and strength to those who have faith in him. God will give sufficient, abundant grace to those who have faith and trust in him. Not in yourself, but in him. And this is the last verse I want to share with you. I love this verse because this should really be our, our mantra as Christians. Paul's talking and he said, each time God said to him, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I am glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. Do, you, do we boast in the areas that we're weak? No, we want to cover those up because we're strong. You know, we've got strength. We're not weak. We don't need to admit that we don't have it all together. But, the, but that's the opposite of what Paul is saying here. He's saying, when I tried to do it on my own, I messed up time and time and time and time again. But when I admitted my weakness, God's strength worked through me. The power of Christ worked through me. Through me. 